Warning, the following podcast may contain some fits of extreme nerd rage, especially when it comes to the world of professional wrestling. As such, there may be a few colorful pieces of language thrown around. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, just a little bit of a uh, preamble to this podcast. Uh, We originally recorded this just after Revolution, around about March, uh, when March Madness was going on, but some other things came up and uh, we weren't actually able to get the episode uploaded. So I've actually gone ahead and uploaded it. Uh, This is actually a two-parter. You'll hear the first part this week, and then you'll hear the next part the following week. So, uh, But I just want to let you guys know, like we had originally planned to do this around March Madness time when you know, it was still relevant and whatnot with, you know, the brackets and everything like that. But things just kind of got out of hand. The The show kind of got away from us for a bit. And uh, so this is a, a backlog episode for you. So, But we still wanted to get it out to you guys um, because we wanted to make sure you guys were able to enjoy the episode and share in the conversation. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and listen to us debate and argue and all that good stuff like we usually do. So uh, enjoy the show. Thanks, guys. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, once again, back to the Wrestling Ramblings and Rages podcast. I'm your host, of course, the one and only James Shimo, and joining me, as always, are my co-hosts. First and foremost is the one and the only Caramel Mountain himself, Mr. Ryan Payne. Ryan, how's it going, man? Doing very good. Uh, I'm still coming off of that high uh, from (laughs) Revolution, and uh, also from this past Dynamite, so honestly, I can't say this has been one hell of a week of wrestling. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot to be thankful for, absolutely. Uh, The main card of Revolution, not a bad match to be found. The buy-in was another story, but I would say there was not one stinker on that entire card, at least for the main show. Um, And then, of course, we also have the one and only Mr. Brenton McPherson. Brenton, what's going on, man? Man, I'm doing great. Just like Ryan coming off that that wrestling hive, what an awesome, amazing pay-per-view. Revolution was and coming off a very good dynamite. Um, and if I'm, you know, if those out there who haven't watched it, I'm not going to give you spoilers away, but it's it's a very good dynamite. Um, but other than that, yeah, I'm just trying to come down from that wrestling high. Absolutely, absolutely. And for those of you who weren't able to join us live, myself and Ryan were over on the Let's Get Ready Network watching uh, AEW Revolution this past Sunday. You can go check that out on their Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash. LGR network. Uh, but in any case, yes. So, but um, we are not here to talk about revolution. We are not here to talk about dynamite. We are here instead because the wrestling world itself is made up of moments, moments that come from intricately told storylines with a lot of planning and forethought involved. Or if you're Vincent Kennedy McMahon, just throwing darts at a wall to see what sticks. Um, <laughs> in this situation, we're not here to dicker about the details of, you know, how these moments come about, but we are going to take a look at what we believe, or at least what the internet for the most part believes to be the greatest wrestling moments of all time. And what I like to call a bracket brawl down. Yes, it is March madness time. So we have created, or I should say I have created a massive bracket of 64 moments throughout pro wrestling history, broken down into four divisions. If you will, we have the early days division covering up through the uh, late 80s, we have the Attitude Era division, we have the Ruthless slash PG division, and we have the AEW division. So, now granted, not all of the moments in the AEW division are AEW related, it's just 
stuff that happened in the area of AEW's overall existence. Okay, so what is going to happen here is that myself, Brenton, and Ryan, we are going to take a look through this bracket, and we are going to narrow everything down from the field of 64 that we've got now to one definitive winner. The way we're going to do that is we will vote which one we think deserves to move on. Seeing as there's three of us, there won't be any ties, won't be any need for tiebreakers. So, with that out of the way, I'm not going to waste any more time yakety-yakking. Let's get right into it, gentlemen. We have the early days bracket first. Starting off, we have, of course, one of the most infamous and, I would say, the most memorable moments of the 1980s. Hogan slamming Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3 versus... The breakup of the Rockers. Mm. Yeah. Sean putting Janetti through the barbershop window versus Hogan slamming Andre. Uh, Ryan, let's go to you first for your uh, for your vote on this one. Okay. And just to clarify here, we're only just talking about the I mean, we're talking about the moment, right? Not the... Yes, just the moments. Now, here's the thing. Some of these moments will be entire matches because there's just more than one great yeah. moment to call throughout. But in this situation, we're just talking the moment of Hogan slamming Andre versus the moment of uh, Sean putting Janetti through that window. Yeah, I'm just asking, like, I'm not going like, to do, like, a whole further explanation on why it's unfair. So it's just because for those listening, they're going to go, oh, my God, that feels so, like, unmatched. Or, and I just want to make this out there for everyone listening. These moments were just random. I'm, and James, he is kind of he, – he, and he will consistently say this. These are just randomly paired up. He didn't just match them up because he thought they were cool moments. No, they were just paired up. It was all down to the roll of the dice. Yeah, and we have to deal with it. But and with that being said, honestly, both moments do have great two factors: one, the shock of the moment, and two, the impact it made for certain wrestlers' careers. Um, but I'm going to be leaning towards uh, Hogan slamming Andre because not only did that make a good moment for Hogan, but it, but of course, if those who watch the who know about the wrestling storyline, it was a it was like a year storyline that went to pay off. And also, it was a moment that solidified WrestleMania as an event. So it, I would say it gets more notches over Shawn Michaels kicking Marty through the window. I mean, kicking Marty and throwing him through the window. Yeah. All right, so we have one vote for Hogan and Andre. Brenton, your turn. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, like Ryan said, you know, both moments – are you know major wrestling you know moments in history, you know? But I, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with Ryan on this and have to go with um, Hogan Slam and Andre. I mean, you know, a lot of times when you think of WrestleMania, that is one of the moments that you automatically think of, and the fact you know with on you know with Andre being the size that he was. I mean, yeah, Hogan was strong, but the size of Andre. You know, and him being able to do that was, you know, at the time, it's just like, holy shit. Like, did I really, did you really just see that? Like, did I just watch this happen? You know, and I would give anything to go back in time and watch, watch that live because I can't imagine being there live and seeing that happen. So, yeah, I'm going to have to go with Hogan, Slam, and Andre. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, my 
two cents is irrelevant. But yeah, I'd also go for uh, Hogan and Andre as well because again, the you look like take a look at WWE's opening hype package for the last number of years. The the very first image that you usually see is Hogan slamming Andre, and it's for good reason. It was a definitive moment in wrestling history. So, okay, we will now advance to. Uh, two very pivotal matches, I would say, in the course of WrestleMania history. We have Razor Ramon versus Shawn Michaels in a ladder match versus the main event of the first WrestleMania. Uh, Brendan, we'll start with you on this one. I mean, R Razor versus Shawn, easy. Okay. I, I mean, it, it's technically not the first ladder match, which that's a whole other topic we get into later, but it's the first televised right. ladder match. And it's so, like that, and it just, it's such a iconic WrestleMania match that's still talked about to this day. Um, yeah. You know, so I've got to go with. You know, Intercontinental ladder, title ladder match, WrestleMania. Okay. Sean versus Razor. All right. Your vote is locked in. Ryan. Um, I'm going to be agreeing with Brent, too. Uh, Razor and Sean. Now, nothing against the first WrestleMania, but as but the drawback on what I said with Hogan and Andre, it was that match with theirs and also a few other matches in three that made it an eventful thing. I mean, sure. Hogan, Andre weren't successful. Vince still would have considered doing WrestleMania. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, I don't remember much of the first WrestleMania, but it was clear Vince wanted to make that a big thing. It just wasn't selling. But compared with Razor and Shawn, that one took a simple idea of a ladder match and now a huge staple in wrestling. So I take something that not only just affects one promotion – but but one event, but one match in a moment that affects every other promotion and any other wrestler that wants to be a wrestler. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, as much as the you know Hogan and Mr. T versus Piper and Orndorff is a great moment, you know, and it again launched WrestleMania into the popular zeitgeist. Um, yeah, I know I've got to stick with uh, Razor and Shawn for the the work rate that those guys had. The fact that it was for the workhorse title, the one that would become synonymous with great in-ring technicians and great workers. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go with Razor versus Sean as well. All right. And now for something completely different. Uh, we take a look now at uh, the infamous slap heard around the world. Of course, Dr. David Schultz slapping the hell out of a reporter versus Warrior squashing the honky-tonk man. We'll start oh. with Ryan. I'm going to have to go with Warrior and Honky Tonk. Um, because with the Dr. David Schultz, that was one I only knew of through uh, hearsay. And so I did not understand its importance. I do now. But the fact that WWE still likes to reference the Honky Tonk Man's Intercontinental Streak, but not how it ended... It seems to me that one still has an impact that the company likes to create with their own narrative. <laughs> okay, fair enough, Brent. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go with 
Honky Tonk and Warrior. I mean, it's still to this day, you know, Honky Tonk's reign is still the longest intercontinental title reign in history. And still to this day, it's the longest reigning of all time. And for War and Warrior beating him in less than a minute, and that being Warrior's first championship win, yeah, um, you know, like, yeah, it's still talked about to this day. It's it's still talked about to this day in the the video games. Oh yeah, wasn't that also? I would say it was Warrior's first title win. But then didn't that also lead into him versus Hogan title? For yeah, title? that was the yeah. build for the title versus title. And look, nothing yeah. against David Schultz is. Like before then, it was nothing but hearsay until that dark side of the ring episode to where I got more of the history behind it. It and I'm, I'm uh, personally, it's kind of like a good thing. Like at the same time, it did end a man's career while Honky Tonk, he did at least have a continuing career. It's just it couldn't reach the high it had after the Intercontinental title. Fair enough. All right. So, uh, yeah, I think we're all unanimous on this one. It's uh, Warrior versus Honky. Uh, great. Like I said, great moment. Like I said, no disrespect to David Schultz, but, I mean, again, this was a little before our time, you know, and it hit us a little bit different being that, you know, we come from the generation that we come from. All right. Next up, this is going to be interesting because uh, the same guy is involved in both of these moments. So this should be interesting. All right. We have the uniting of the mega powers, yeah, versus Jake the Snake's Cobra biting Randy Savage. Oh, mm. both with Macho yeah. Man, exactly. Yep, two Mach moments here. Uh, we're gonna start off with Brenton on this one. God, like I said, <sighs> RN Jesus likes to stick it to us every once in a while with these. Man. Honestly, I you hear the gears turning in everyone's heads. I, I would say, <laughs> I would say, the formation of the Mega Powers. Okay. Um, just because you got the two, you know, are at the time. Honestly, the two biggest names in the in the company forming a tag team like that was such a huge moment that would build into a story. You know that is such you know such a famous wrestling storyline to this day. You know, and honestly, one of the greatest storylines I think. Yeah, no, I think you'd be you'd be hard pressed to find somebody you could argue with you on that one. So I'm gonna have to go with yeah, the formation of the mega powers. Okay, Ryan. I'm kind of gonna go on the opposite. I'm gonna go with Jake's the Snake and Macho Man. Now, it's um to to, to shorten my uh, thoughts. I guess with Jake the Snake and Macho Man, I mean, yeah, both moments, I will say, are still recycled through WWE, especially when they like to look through their nostalgia glasses. But both also involves, like, at a time with Jake and – I think with Jake and Macho Man, it, it hits more, which is which is funny because both moments involve with Macho Man, Elizabeth, and they're both kind of integral parts. 
But I think because with Jake, the, with Jake and the Snake, though, this and of course James, when we were on that cruise, when Jake was the set Pardue cruise, and Jake talks about him having the trouble with the Snake, especially around that moment, it yeah. adds a lot more juice to it. But even those who did not listen to that Talk to Jericho interview, the moment that Jake solidifies himself as a truly dis, like a despicable and terrifying villain is taking the snake out. Because before then, he'd always have his matches laying the snake on top of his enemies or threatening to have them have it bite them. But with Macho Man being completely game to have the snake bite him, and the crowd reaction you saw from that bite, knowing this wasn't no uh, quick bite and turn away. No, the camera held on to it, and you saw horrified looks. So I will stick with that moment. Okay. So I play tiebreaker for the first time here tonight, and it's tough because both of these are great moments. And again, I have so much more appreciation for both moments, too. Number one, to Dark Side of the Ring, but as well as other podcasts and things like that that have touched on these subjects. But I am going to go for the union of the Mega Powers because it eventually led to the Mega Powers exploding, which led to a great feud between Mach and Hogan for WrestleMania V. It was, it was, again, long-term storytelling that we don't see in WWE much anymore. Uh, and so I feel like I have to reward it in those classic moments when it happens. So uh, I'm going to keep it short and sweet on that one. So, yeah. So the winner moving, advancing on is the Mega Powers Uniting. So we will advance from there. All right. Uh, the next one is going to come from... Uh, it actually features two moments coming from good old fashioned WCW. Mm-hmm. WCW. Wrestling. Yeah. So we have the very first War Games match. Ooh. Versus Ron Simmons beating Vader for the WCW title. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to try to put my personal bias aside. Although, I mean, come on. It's hard to when you have those two moments. Um, yeah. I was like, just go with your gut, dude. I was like, no need to rationalize. Just go for it. I mean, if I'm going to go with my gut, then I'm going to have to say Ron Simmons beating Vader. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Brendan. Yeah. I mean, the same. You know, Ron Simmons beating Vader, and it was such a big deal like like it, it, you know whenever that happened like just how they made vader just this incredible monster that just would beat the piss out of every single person he got in the ring with and then with ron simmons beating him you know that's a very pivotal moment i believe in definitely wcw history um so I'm gonna have to go with yeah I'm gonna go with Simmons beating yeah. Vader for the title. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree wholeheartedly, and again we'll get more into the deeper details about it. I'm sure yeah. uh, when we move on to the next round. Okay, next up again two very very big moments in wrestling history. We have Jimmy Snuka's cage dive versus Hogan beating Iron Sheik for the WWF Championship. 
That was a big deal. He was the first one to get out of the Iron Sheik's camel clutch. It was a huge, huge deal. That was a huge deal, yeah. We're going to start with Brett on this one. So, yeah, okay. Even though it was a huge de- yes, it was a huge deal that Hogan was the first one to get out of the Iron Sheik's camel clutch and beat him for the you know the World Wrestling Federation Championship. I'm gonna have to give it to old Superfly because that's something that you had never seen happen before. You know, yeah, you'd seen him do the Superfly the Superfly splash, but off of a cage. You know, that, that, you know, I think any high flying wrestling fan or high flying wrestler looks at that moment as like this, like what started like high flying, like that's top, but like it is just such a pitiful moment for the high flying style of wrestling. Yep, very true. All right, Ryan. Uh, I'll be honest. Um, I'm gonna go with Snooker leaping off the cage, only because I get it. Uh, both moments have two tropes that WWE likes to use or wrestling likes to use. That, um, I mean, ju- leaping off the cage has become a much bigger thing, or, or not bigger thing. It, it's become a very consistent trope. But I will say, looking at the, the moment itself, the fir- with the c- cage match. Because before cage matches, it was simply just they wrestled, pinned, or submit or exit. But Jimmy Snuka did something at that time not many wrestlers, at least maybe were not brave enough to do. And, or crazy. Yeah, or crazy enough. And even though it's a simple splash, though, it's still the fact he is jumping off of oh, like 15, maybe, uh, I, I can't remember the height, 15, 20 feet in the air and still landing on somebody. That's uh, and many wrestlers who I love watch who I love like Jeff Hardy, uh, Edge, Christian, Rob Van Dam. Many uh, high flyers have talked about that they have seen that moment of Jimmy Snuka looking d- jumping off that cage, inspiring them to become not as reckless but but to become like daredevils, which then later has them inspire other wrestlers like Matt Seidel, Darby Allen, um, oh my god, uh, Joey Janela, just to name a few. So I will go with that one because of the uh, with the rever- the reverberating effects it leaves down the road, compared to yeah Hogan breaking out of Sheik's uh, camel clutch. Great. Then they had, but it's more of like a company trope compared to something that became generational or inspired yeah. generations. Sorry, it's okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Um, my opinion again is irrelevant, but yeah, I probably would have gone the same way anyway. So. All right, let's go ahead and move forward. Uh, speaking of Snuka, our next matchup features that infamous Piper's Pit versus the debut of The Undertaker. Ooh. God. Body. Yep. Yep. Ryan, we're going to start with you. Ooh, man, already. I mean, if I wasn't – if you're literally just putting me in a trap and telling me I need, I need to gnaw my hand to get to escape or – light my foot on fire. I don't almost want to gnaw my hand to get out. Um which means I'm gonna go with the Undertaker for two reasons. 
Well, one from his debut, of course, he's with with buddy, uh, buddy or brother love. Brother sure, love, yeah. even then, the um, commitment of Mark Calloway with this character entering on then entering on in his size, the way commentary was building him up, and also from watching that scene that there were they built him in such a huge mystique and making him speechless really spoke volumes to the performer that Mark Calloway was. Um, as much as the infamous Piper's Pit is, and it has complete, and it's a great legacy because it establishes Piper as a dastardly and vicious heel. I guess once again, I'm going with the generational thing because Undertaker of what he is, who he became, and who he inspired later on. So Undertaker, like it's a hard yeah. cut for Piper's Pit. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, because we all love Piper. But uh, anyway, uh, Brenton. Uh, yeah, um, gonna go with Undertaker. Uh, two re um, two reasons. Um, one, he's the freaking Undertaker. Arguably the greatest WWE wrestler to ever step foot in the ring, you know, regarded by some as arguably the greatest wrestler to step foot in the ring. Definitely the longest lasting gimmick. It, true. You know, and, and two, like, like kind of how Ron said, though, you know, the way he was built up, you know, and the way the con the commentary team was just like, look at the size of this man, you know, and everything. And the music and the look and the complete and utter silence, you know, just brought a whole, you know, new they brought a character that no pe nobody had ever seen before. And, you know, so, and that inspired all, a lot of other wrestlers to take on that dark side kind of gimmick, um, you know, in the future. So, yeah, I'm going to have to go with the debut of The Undertaker. All right. Sounds like a good plan. Uh, yeah, I would have gone with Taker as well. Like, like you said, Brenton, it's The Undertaker. Enough said. Anyway, all right. To finish off our early days bracket, we have Jerry Lawler slapping Andy Kaufman. <laughs> the reunion of Mach and Elizabeth. Oh, oh, oh. oh damn. Uh, Brenton, I'm going to go to you first on this one. I want to go Macho and Elizabeth. Like, it was just something about, you know, Macho, like, it, Macho Man and Elizabeth, is, they, it's just like, when you think of Macho Man, you think of Miss Elizabeth. When you think of Miss Elizabeth, you think of Macho Man. Like, I'm sorry, I don't think of, you know, and no disrespect to Sensational Sherry, but when I think of Macho Man, I do not think of the Sensational Sherry. I'm sorry, I don't. And, like, so, like, when that, and, you know, with the emotion that was with that whole, you know, that moment, the, the motion behind it was incredible to see, um, you know, with Elizabeth jumping out of the crowd and coming in and grabbing, you know, Sherry by the hair and like, bitch, get out of the ring. Like, it was just so 
you know, it was just a, it was just a great, and it's a great WrestleMania moment too. It is. It is one of the greatest WrestleMania moments. All right, uh, Ryan. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a uh, Macho and Elizabeth because um, it it's also another great long character story, uh, another great long storyline with Macho Man. Um, even though I didn't vote for the the formation of the Mega Powers, but honestly, it's from the Mega Powers forming to them breaking apart, which caused Macho to go heel, leading him to ditch Elizabeth, become the win king of the ring, become the Macho King, have sensational Sherry at his side, him him being a very starting off as probably one of the almost the the one of the best baby faces who could have eclipsed Hogan. To descending into madness, and then having everybody who once who idolized and worshipped him see him do these despicable things to win, and then him having that uh, retirement or loser leaves or you know re- retirement match against warrior, and then having Elizabeth in the crowd, and just the emotional and the psychology played into that match with him losing Sherry just attacking but beating him Elizabeth. Running from that crowd into the ring, and then having Macho Man and Elizabeth re-embrace for the people, it can't be topped. As much as I, even though the whole thing with Jerry Lawler and Andy Kaufman, yes, the whole thing may have been a work, but even then, it was a work that got the whole world fooled. Mm-hmm. And the only All reason, right. why it, but so I, and I will finish off by saying, at least with Macho Man and Elizabeth, it stayed within its fairy tale while Kaufman he really tried to bleed realism into the into fairy tale which unfortunately not many people were willing to handle because remember they had to end it because people thought it was real <laughs> mm-hmm. yep all right uh but yeah uh Mach and Liz all the way uh like I said no disrespect to Lawler and Kaufman but yeah like getting actual grown men in the crowd to cry about this was was a huge mark in its favor. So, all right, we now move on to the Attitude Era bracket. No, oh, this is gonna suck. Yeah, you ain't kidding. Uh, first up, first up on the docket, the corporations getting a beer bath versus Sable's handprints. Both moments still used by WWE. <laughs> mm. Yep. Uh, Ryan, we'll go to you first. It's corporation getting the beer bath because the difference between these two, unfortunately, one was all about the importance of one figure, which is Sable. That little thing, unfortunately, where Mark Merrill became a cuckold to his own storyline, and then at the same time, it is something that WWE can't recreate because it was the Attitude Era. On the other hand. The Corporation Beer Bath, which was replicated so perfectly with Milkomania, is something where you can replicate it just right and still get entertainment. Even Stone Cold brought that back on Santino, Morella, and Maria. Okay, so <laughs> as it, it should, it, it did not have the same impact, but still having Stone Cold bring out a beer truck, douse somebody in beer is still fun to watch. <laughs> yep. All right, Brenton. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go with the beer bath. Just like I mean, the only and the reason I pick is just because, I mean, the build up, you know, like 
the build up to that WrestleMania, you know, which was Rock versus Stone Cold number one, you know, like with what you know what happened months prior with the rock turning heel and joining the corporation you know the like the rock was doing such a fantastic job at making you hate his guts like you wanted to see the worst possible things happen to that human being and same thing with Shane and Vince you know the things they were doing they were just doing such a phenomenal job at being heels and with Stone Cold pretty much saying, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm going to douse you all in beer. Why? Because mm-hmm. I can. Fair enough. And coming out there and just literally just drenching not only them, but the ring itself, yeah. like, with beer. You knew that it, took some time to clean up. Yes. And you know people got soaked in the audience. Oh, they had to. Oh, I guarantee true. you there were guys in the audience probably holding their cups out from the concession stand like, yeah, I'll take a free refill. Exactly. Seeing Vince and Shane pretend to swim as if they were drowning is still <laughs> an hilarious sight. Yes, it is. All right. Uh, so, yeah, no no need for deliberation here. Yeah, the beer bath from the corporation uh, yeah, yeah, on the or to the corporation on the part of Stone Cold advances. All right. Next up, this one, this one's really going to be a Sophie's choice for you guys. So we have the Austin 316 promo mm. versus the Montreal Screwjob. Mm. God damn, that is. Brett, we're mm. going to the first. Mm. For those of you who uh, aren't aware, that's his thinking noise. That's the gears trying to turn, but they're stalled. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Why? Oh, the, this, the, hey, Why? Blame oh the dice. God. <laughs> if only the difficulty level was just drummed down below five points, possibly we could have gotten a better matchup. <laughs> I know. Uh, an, I easier, know. Uh, an easier choice. <laughs> Hold on. I got to get a coin on this one, guys. Hold on. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, shit. Oh. Okay, here we go. Heads, Stone Cold, Tails, Montreal. And the result is? Austin 316 gets to the win. Okay. Austin 316. Ryan. Austin- Purely a coin toss, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Ryan, your turn. Okay. Well, Britain was deciding I was coming down to my choice. And, um, I mean, the only time dark, this, I hope this is the only time Dark Side of the Ring is actually going to make this choice any easier. Not just that, but also the wrestling documentaries that came after this. It is the Montreal screw job. Yeah. And it is main. It's, and the reason why I'm picking that over Stone Cold as a big Stone Cold mark I am is because it is one of the rare, is, is during that time, one of the rarest moments where Vince, his ego, had lifted the curtain. Well, actually, during that time, Vince's ego and his business acumen, for those listening, I'm doing air quotes, business acumen. He was, I mean, just go and listen to documentaries, interviews about that moment. It'll do, it'll do it just as better than I can. 
But what I'm trying to say is that Vince, he just could not respect one of his wrestlers' wishes. And because he couldn't respect the wishes and couldn't take a wrestler at his word, he pulled something that, it, I mean, ended up pissing off Bret Hart. It led a huge uh, at dark, it, it, left, it put a huge weight, a monkey on Shawn Michaels' back throughout the majority of his career. It left him hated in Canada for one of the longest time. Like, no matter how many times they sold out tickets whenever they went to Canada, people will never let Vince forget. And even though all the blame was on Shawn Michaels, it should be known that Vince ultimately was the decider. He was the one that did that. But then also, of course, if you want to look at character-wise, we got the birth of Mr. McMahon. At that time, it was only known to wrestlers and a few people and maybe a few who followed wrestling that Vince was the owner, not just a commentator. But once that happened, the wool was will the the wool was pulled off of everyone's eyes, and we all saw Vince for who he is, a scared shitless guy who can't respect anybody. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So once again, it comes down to me. And again, I'm gonna keep it short and sweet. For the long running, both kayfabe and real world ramifications that followed, I've got to go with the Montreal screw job. No disrespect to Austin 316. I've picked it as the, the greatest promo of all time in our last episode. Yeah. But it is like literally the Montreal screw job. We felt the effects for it from years to come. And again, like you said, dark side of the ring, wrestling with shadows, any of those other documentaries that have gone on about it, the podcasts that have been done about it. It is literally one of the most talked about moments in wrestling for a reason. So, all right. Moving on to the next one. Maybe a little little, little less uh, difficult on this one, maybe. Uh, DX invades WCW versus Mick Foley falling from Hell in a Cell. God. Actually, <laughs> it's easier than you think for me. <laughs> okay, well... Good thing we're going to you first, then. Go for it. Of course, it's Mick falling off Hell in the Cell. Nothing against DX invading WCW, but that was pretty much just them trying to get into a building they knew they were never going to get in. They were just hoping for good TV. That was a and not to say Mick at the Hell in the Cell match was not just a stunt, a ploy for viewership and fans along, but the difference was that was pay per view. And they had to, they, and this was TV to where it was all about the ratings. If that, if the Hell in a Cell match between Mankind and Undertaker didn't go well, guess what? It would have been just a fine match. But the fact that Mick, as a, as a wrestler, and I say this as a wrestler, I don't care if you guys call him a man. He was a wrestler. And the passion and the dedication he put into every character he did, and also for what they wanted, they asked him, of him to do for this match. And then, of course, uh, and also most recently, uh, I mean, I follow his daughter, uh, Noelle, on Instagram, and she once again, she, and she reshared a, a clip of, of Mick seeing the old cage from the Hell in a Cell match, and this nice little thing where Mick has his great uh, reminiscence on it, where he gets very emotional to where it could have been the end of his career, it could have been the end of his life, and the fact he was able to survive, and the fact he did, he goes on to have a great career, a huge surgeons amongst the fans, truly being a beloved person in the industry. I take that over DX, just trying to prove they're the baddest gang, the, the baddest group around. Okay. 
Brenton. Giving a little bit of thought on it, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll, uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to give it to uh, Mick, just for the simple fact of if anybody's ever watched, there's I can't remember the name of the documentary, but it's on Mick. It's one of Mick. It's a Mick Foley documentary, but essentially. The, how the whole, like, just a brief, you know, I'm going to tell the whole story very brief. How it happened is him and Terry Funk were joking backstage, and Mick Foley was like, well, you know, it'll be something if I jumped off the cage. And they just all, ha, 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 ha. Well, Mick Foley's a gorilla. He says, you know, I think I can do it. Terry Funk's like, you're a fucking idiot. But okay. And then Mick Foley almost kills himself. And you now have the most infamous Hell in a Cell moment in history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I mean, Shane McMahon can jump off of Hell in a Cell however many times he wants, but it'll never replicate watching Mick Foley literally just. Yeah, yeah. And and the emotion behind Jr. You know. Stop the damn match, you know, like as God is my witness, he is broken in half. No, no, he ain't broken also, in half, he's in a million pieces. And also, Undertaker even said he thought he killed him. Yeah, no, he did. Yeah. But uh, all right, so yeah, um, my vote is also gonna be for Mick Foley falling off Hell in a Cell as well. Uh, we don't need to go into all the details, of course, because we still got another couple of rounds of this to go through. But uh, let's go ahead and move forward here. Uh, speaking of Mick Foley, he does uh, appear in this next matchup as well. So we have uh, the debut of the Nation of Domination versus Mick Foley winning the WWF Championship on Raw. Shit. Oh, that's easy for me. Right. Well, uh, let's see. I believe, Ryan, you are – oh, no, Brendan does go to you first on this one. Yeah, it does go to him. Yep. Um, Mick Foley winning the WWF title. Because if you look, that was not only, you know, not only one of the biggest title changes in history, you know, taking the belt off the rock and giving it to, you know, Mick Foley, but that also led to, you know, kind of, it, it, I wouldn't say it, it didn't fully. You know, allow or it was it wasn't the main reason that WCW fell, but it definitely attributed to the downfall of WCW. It was the start of the downward spiral, yeah. So that's why I have to give it to Mick winning the title. Okay, uh, Ryan. I mean, if I also recall that night they won. This was also the night of the finger poke of doom on WCW. So it. Definitely I, was. I don't remember if that is the case or not, but um, I'm. Sure, I mean, I can't remember exactly. It, I just know that. Uh, I'm sure somebody will fact check us somewhere, yeah. or we'll find it later on. But I am slightly a little split here because Nation of Domination at the time. I mean, I mean, look, uh, great. I mean, they were. I came into wrestling after, like, after their run, but even then, combination of wrestlers. Who were, who felt they were overlooked, underutilized, all African American group of men 
who could prove themselves, and Ron Simmons, who could have. And uh, I remember we did speak in previous podcasts on how the Nation of Domination through Ron Simmons, I mean, with Ron Simmons leading them, they could have been possibly one of the second, possibly one of the biggest heel factions that existed. But because they didn't want to give them too much accolade, it showed that they just dropped the ball with them. Although that being said, the their formation, though, doesn't hit as much as what they did through storylines. So I am going to give this to Mick Foley because not only was it a great night, the way they take it off, man, the, the way they do it, though, man, kind of think it's going to be uh, an up, it's going to be an uphill battle. The entire corporation's coming out trying to protect the rock, but then so many other elements come to uh, neutralize that. And then we get Stone Cold coming out, just taking the chair, swinging it at the rock, leaving. Mick Foley covers rock. One, two, three. Great moments of where you have great beats after beats and something you can easily rewatch. So Mick Foley winning that belt. Okay. Yeah, I would give it to Jolly Old St. Mickles as well. All right. Let us move ahead. All right. This should be another interesting one. All right. The next matchup is China winning the Intercontinental Championship versus the Austin Bret Hart double turn at WrestleMania. Oh, God. I hope we don't have female viewers listening to this later on. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, Ryan, I believe we start with you on this one. Well, this one is difficult. Um, but I will be going with the double turn. As great as it was to see China become one of the first women to hold the Intercontinental Championship, but the way the match was, the way she won it, it was a little sour note. Great moment still. Great moment. But then you take the double turn, which to, it's literally, I, I'm not saying it's the irresistible force versus the uh, unmovable object. But it's pretty much two opposites, two wrestlers who represent two, two, two turning, two tides of wrestling. Bret Hart, the classic technical old fashioned of wrestling. Then you got Stone Cold, who's representing a new wave, a new attitude of wrestler coming in. Great match between the two of them, that submission match. And then that double turn that happens. It, it really did change things for not just Stone Cold, but also for Bret as well. So I'm giving that to, I'm going for the double turn. Okay. I'm going with the double turn as well and th the reason I go with the double turn is out of all of the wrestling like not wrestling just wrestling matches Wrestlemania matches it is my favorite and I personally consider it to be the best Wrestlemania match of all time Personally, that's and you know some people may agree, some people may not agree, but I personally think that is the best WrestleMania match ever. Um, and just to have a double turn in the match makes it just so much more special. Yeah, no, I, I, I can hardly argue with that. Yeah, um, the Austin Hart double turn was so expertly executed and what it did for both men's careers after the fact uh, don't get me wrong china much deserving of holding the intercontinental championship and the level of trust that they put in there for that 
was huge. But yeah, kind of like Ryan said, the the manner in which she won that is kind of a bit of a sour note on it. So uh, yeah, I'm going to go for Austin Brett as well. Okay. Next matchup. Uh, Brenton, we're going to start with you on this one. Lex Luger shows up on the first episode of Nitro versus Milkomania. <laughs> Milkomania running wild, brother. All right, enough said. That's Ryan. all I have to say. This one's a little difficult. Um, you know what? I'm going Milkomania as well. I mean, as good a moment as, as it was with Lex showing up at the Mall of America and claiming that he wants to play where the big boys play, as good a moment was, it is unfortunately something that was consistently uh, done throughout that time in the Attitude Era with the war between WCW and WWF a wrestler with a dumb ship saying I'm going to I'm I'm going where I'm going to go where I think I'm going to be valued better you know so Lex may have it may have gotten more recognition with Lex when he did that and it was great TV but for Christ's sake Milk Obadia I mean what better way can you get Kurt as a babyface over I mean he was already a babyface but to show that he can be goofy but still Come off as a hero. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, one of the greatest calls of Jim Ross's career. Kurt Angle has become a Dairy Queen. Just hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to go for Milkomania as well. All right. We've only got two matches left in the Attitude Era bracket. We're kind of soaring through this one. Let's see what happens here. Uh, all right. It's, uh, the penultimate matchup in the Attitude Era bracket. Triple H marries Stephanie McMahon versus the debut of Crow Sting. Oh! Oh, no! No! And Ryan, unfortunately, we're going to you first, buddy. Oh, I've already oh, got no. my answer, so that was oh, easy. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh God. And, and for those of you sitting at home, underneath all that, I'm sure you can hear the, the very subtle sound of a man's soul shattering. Whoo! Crap. And those of us who can actually see what he is doing, he's combing his beard. <laughs> uh, great, great. It's helping anyway. me process. It's helping me process. <laughs> <laughs> it's a security blanket, damn it. Oh, God. Okay. Here's Linus. I'm not going to cut into a tirade here. The difference between one of these moments is I did watch one of them live while on that episode. But I'm going with Sting, Crow Sting. Because it ties into a good storyline when the NWO invaded WCW. Sting, and when they made their bogus Sting, Sting was being accused as he had turned. He proved his innocence at War Games declared himself a free agent on the Monday night afterwards, was not seen for months until Randy Savage attacked on a Raw, and then that's where you see the – oh, no, 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 no. He – well, technically he came in the black and white, but the Crow Sting did show up the first time with Macho Man Randy Savage, and in that moment did not say a word, just pointed a bat at him, and the two left. Beginning one of the great storylines, ended on a sour note, but still a great storyline on how you build a baby face. With Crow Sting, so I'm going with Crow Sting. Okay, Brenton. Crow Sting. Um, 
because it, I mean, Sting was already just a top guy, you know, and he was already a top guy with the Surfer Sting gimmick. But everybody knows Sting as the Crow Sting. Yeah, it's what he's most famous for. It's what he's famous for, and it's one of the most famous characters in wrestling. So I'm gonna have to get. That's why I'm gonna have to go with Sting on that one. Okay. Uh, Um. Again, really big moments both, but yeah, I'm gonna go again for the promise that it had at the beginning. I'm gonna go for Crow Sting as well. Okay. And nothing. Go ahead. I was gonna say it's nothing against Triple H and Stephanie because that also started off a great storyline as well with. Um, but at, ultimately, in the end, I mean, looking at the difference between the two of them, the Stephanie and Triple H one, it may have been good for a shocking moment, but then when you start to peel it back, you have to hold your suspension of disbelief. You have to really push it all the way into a corner, or like in, in chapter two, you have to push it until it gets smaller and smaller so you rip its heart out. That's your suspension of disbelief. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Well, Brenton, we are coming to you on the final matchup of the Attitude Era bracket. We have the debut of the NWO at Bash of the Beach versus Brian Pillman's Got a Gun. Where's the coin? (laughs) Yeah, I don't blame you, Brenton. I don't have a coin, but I do have a die, and I may have something to do that. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I was not expecting this, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my God. Hold on. I'm going to have to do a two out of three on this one. <laughs> All right. Heads, NWO, tails. Brian Pillman's got a gun. Okay. Now with these coin flips, y'all got me nervous. <laughs> Oh, oh shit! Now, oh man, I think it comes down to the third one. Here we go. Oh boy, here we go. Tiebreaker. I don't want to look at it. <laughs> NWO. Oh. All right, the debut of the NWO at Bash of the Beach. All right, Ryan. Well, I don't have a coin, but like I said, I have a die, and it's a twelve-sided die. So I'm doing it like this. Evens, Brian Pillman. Odds is the NWO. <laughs> okay, here we go, folks. All right. So, I wish I had. I wish I had a, a die shaker so everyone can hear me shaking it. Yeah, and that's so, say he's got. He's shaking it up real good. And big money, no whammies. Oh, crap! It dropped. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I need to yep, clear my well, desk. This is live entertainment, folks. Here we go. Here we go. Let's try that again. Okay, this is this is this is also a two out of three. So okay, first one so, is on evens. So Brian so Pillman won. Pillman's got yep, one vote for Pillman's got a gun. And there we go. Odd NWO. <laughs> okay, so it comes down to this. Yeah, boy oh boy. I hope you guys are really enjoying this at home. I don't know. I don't know how entertaining this is. It is on even. So Brian Pillman Brian Jr. Pillman's got Brian Pillman's got a gun. Okay. All right, so it comes down to me. So, all right, uh, sugar, honey, iced tea. Okay. Yeah. Well, I well, we'll be full. <laughs> so, 
here's the way I'm going to look at it. Pillman's Got a Gun was a great segment, but they also ended up having to apologize for it because of, you know, oversensitivity or this, whatever it was. They, they ended up having to apologize for the segment in the yeah. long run. Uh, I think it had something to do with, like, the parents' television, something that led into, like, the whole right to censor thing or whatever. Um, the NWO, granted, they got away with a lot of crazy stuff. And for, uh, to me, the NWO was a lot like aces and eights in the beginning. You know, it was, it was, or, or you know, the other way around, however you want to look at it. It had a lot of intrigue, a lot of really good, you know, build up to it at first. And then as it got, as the group got more and more bloated and this, that, and the other, it just kind of petered out. But for the impact that it had at the beginning, I'm going to go for the NWO. These are good choices, and you do bring up a good point with the Brian Pillman moment, and you're right. It can also, when it comes with the with the Schultz moment as well, it, it, there had to be some apologies afterwards. Mm-hmm. I guess with the Brian Pillman moment was because it it's a it's a moment because we haven't seen something like that. Sure, the home invasion thing's one thing, but you know the whole gun part and then the fade out. You know, really, yeah, just the, the fact that it cut the feed, yeah, yeah. All right. Now we move to the uh, ruthless slash PG bracket. So this is all moments from the ruthless aggression slash PG era. I may go all ruthless depending on the moments. <laughs> yeah, I was getting to say, can we just skip this one and say all ruthless? Well, the, like PG had some well, good moments. It had good exactly. moments. Well, for example, for example, CM Punk's pipe bomb. Yeah, I figured. good point. Versus what, well, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. What am I saying? Why did I even say that? I'm smacking myself in the face right now. <laughs> okay, so it's CM Punk's pipe bomb versus ECW One Night Stand 2005. Son of a bitch! Who's going first? Uh, Ryan's first on this one. Oh, because you already know my answer. Well, mm. Don't, mm, you know what it is. Yeah, I know what it is, but I like both moments. The one night stand is fantastic. Both, I but think I'm of what ended up happening down. after one night stand. What Vince McMahon did to the memory of ECW. Well, that was the second, the second one night stand. The first one was a great moment. Uh, the first one was a great island of its own. Second one, yeah, what Vince did afterwards. He pretty much re- did he. he, he Treated ECW like it was Jason in Friday the 13th Part 6. Resurrected just so he could treat it like garbage. That, that's a hell of a reference. Wow. That's an analogy right there. But, oh, God. But actually, fuck. I made this my number one promo for a dead goddamn. So, CM Punk's pipe bomb. Okay. Don't think there's going to need to be any more deliberation. The pipe bomb moves on. <laughs> Let me just say this. If anybody. Out of all the listeners that have are that listen to the show regularly, and all the ones that are new, CM Punk is my favorite wrestler. So anything CM Punk, we're just gonna move on. Okay, here <laughs> we go. Uh, the next moment is the debut of one John Cena versus Kurt Angle versus Rock Hogan and WrestleMania. Well, this one's also. I counted as part of the ruthless aggression era. Just I know. Well, are you? I guess you're talking what third? Yeah, yeah. Like personally, for me, I'm counting like once WCW and everything was bought out, 
and everything and all of that got incorporated like after, like once like Steiner and everybody who started like sitting out their contracts started coming back in I count that as the start of the ruthless aggression era. Okay, so we're talking WrestleMania 2003. No, uh, no, we're talking WrestleMania 17. Oh, we're talking about the first Rock. Yeah, yeah Rock versus Hogan at at Mania. Yeah, when Vince tried to oh, induct the okay. lethal poison of the NWO. <laughs> so, uh, Brenton, we start with you on this one. So, is it Rock versus Hogan, or is it Cena's debut? Oh no! I was thinking Austin. That was my bad. I was thinking Austin for Rock. I thought you, I thought you said Rock versus Austin. I was like, wait a minute. Rock versus oh Hogan. no, Rock and Hogan. Hogan. <laughs> oh, definitely, it's Rock and Hogan. Because uh, it's the passing of the torch moment. Yeah, it's one that was done right. So, uh, Ryan, your turn. Um, yeah, it's Rock and Hogan. Uh, as much as that moment with Cena, because I liked the one thing in the Firefly Funhouse match I liked was they poked fun at that moment, but. At the same time, Cena did say in interviews that that match could not, it could, so many things could have changed the outcome of that match and what it could have done for Cena. Because even when, even when Cena did have that moment and he was on the roster, he even said he came close to being cut until he had to change his, uh, his whole thing. And if it wasn't just for one little moment on a Halloween episode of SmackDown, Cena's career would have been dead in his tracks and he could have gone back to, uh, Florida Championship Wrestling back into development again. So the yeah. great view was it wasn't a very impact. It what it didn't it didn't have the uh, mileage that Rock and Hogan had. Mm-hmm. I hear you. All right. So Rock Hogan advances. All right. Next moment or next set of moments. We have Brock Lesnar and the Big Show breaking the ring versus. I'm just a sexy Kurt. Ah! 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 <laughs> and this one's going to Ryan first. Damn it! <laughs> oh, if it was any other moment, if it was a PG moment, I would have immediately said Brock and Big Show because PG did this thing to death. Oh. But I'm a sexy Kurt, is it, in a whole other league of its own? So. I'm a sexy Kurt. <laughs> All right. Sexy Kurt for the Because it's a heel. Uh, it's a fucking heel who's supposed to be uh because this is at the time when Kurt he loses his uh goon squad. He's back on his own. Michaels is the person he chooses to go against. And the back and forth between the two of them, especially during the time of the brand split. This is the one feud where the brand split was actually perfect. Yeah. So, I'll yes. agree with that. Sexy Kurt and having sensational Siri back was great. All right, Brenton. I'm about to go with Brock and Show breaking the ring. Just because, I mean, yeah, you know, it's happened multiple times since then, but, you know, at the time, for the first time, you know, it was unexpected. You know, I, I feel that all the other ones have been expected. You know, except for maybe one other, but that's a whole other thing we could get into. Um, you know, I don't think that was supposed to happen. And, you know, just the shock of it, like, holy shit, what did I just see? Is, you know, that's what that, 
I'd say for the the shock value, I have to go with this the the epic superplex that destroyed the ring. Yeah. Okay. So it all comes down to me on this one. Uh, I'll tell you, there, there's two determining factors as to what clinches this one for me. Number one is the fact that I got to experience Kurt Angle doing this from memory on the Jericho cruise during his Talk is Jericho interview, which was fantastic. It's hilarious. And secondly, I'm from Pittsburgh, man. I've got to go with Kurt. It's it's the law. Sorry. <laughs> but no, like the, the moment with Big Show and Brock is great, but I feel like it's gotten diluted so much by the constant repeated attempts to recreate it. Whereas Kurt Angle doing that, like you can watch that however many times you can watch him recreate it. However many times in just doing it live on a cruise ship full of like 2000 people. And it's still just as funny, still brings just as much of a smile to your face. And it's still just as memorable. And I will also add that it's also just like with, I will say with Cena's debut, which Kurt was involved with, involved with, it's also something that could not have worked. People could have written that off as just a, a bad promo or a bad skit, but because of the commitment through Kurt Angle and the fact like he is, and then he's also, and not just in his interview, but also at the Hall of Fame, he says, don't be afraid to be goofy or to make yourself look stupid. Because because people end you up in the Hall of Fame one day. Yeah, but not just that; it makes people more invested in your character to either hate and love. It's one of the reasons why Kurt yeah. was one of the best heels to 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 whenever it came with the what chance. He was just somebody who played into the whole "it annoys the hell out of me" or the "you suck" chance. Someone who yep. could get a crowd to hate him, and then still take a chance and have it be his uh his motivation when he's a face. It just works so well. <laughs> okay, uh, we got to move on, but here we go. Uh, two pretty emotional moments here on this one. Uh, these we got lucky that these ones got paired together, or maybe unlucky, depending on your viewpoint. So we have Ric Flair's retirement ceremony Ooh, on Monday yeah. Night Raw versus Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit hugging at the end of Mania Twenty. Oh my God! <laughs> For those of you who. Uh, uh, because you guys can't see this, Ryan has just walked off camera. <clears throat> Thankfully, we're going to Brenton first, but he is oh. Ryan is agonizing over this. Where's the coin? <laughs> oh man, that's three guys. I never would have imagined that you that we would need three coin flips in this proceeding here tonight. Oh man! Whew. Wow, this is this is nuts. <laughs> Flare ceremony. All right, so and uh, just I'll throw in a moment for the flare ceremony. Even though I had to flip a coin, I'm just going to throw in a moment. One thing that sticks out to me in that moment is the Undertaker. Yeah. The kneeling, the Undertaker when he kneels. Like, I want that picture, like, on a wall. Yeah. Yeah, that's a hell of a moment. It really is. All right, Ryan. Uh, well, this one, 
I'm going. I won't use my die in this one. Kind of like what you did with the with the with, between uh, uh with the last one between Kurt and uh the Bro Brock and Big Show. This fit. This fell down to two factors for me. One, I mean, let's. I will get this one out the way because unfortunately, Chris Benoit's passing and what, the circumstance behind it, that moment is unfortunately erased from WWE. But even then, at that time, I, as a wrestling fan. The memory of seeing two men I've watched in WCW transition into a company which Vince has painted for the longest time as it's us versus them, taking these two men who don't fit Vince's mold of a wrestler, giving them the big belts, and then see, and having them not only win, Eddie retain against Kurt Angle, who was Vince's one of his Vince's golden boys, and Benoit in that triple threat match, winning the Royal Rumble at number one. Going to, up against Michaels and Triple H, who Michaels and Triple H were obviously the more heavy favorite and more focused. And seeing Benoit through psychology, through body language, outwork these men, make fighting neck and neck for that spot. Winning the belt as in the main event. And then that one with the two men hugging. I love that because it tells a great story and also what WrestleMania can be about. As much as emotional as that Ric Flair moment was, if WWE had just let it die, I would have been fine with that. But it was used in a storyline between Jericho and Batista. And then, of course, Ric Flair, he goes to TNA months long later. It's still a great episode of Raw. Great, great episode of Raw. But that moment between Eddie and Benoit is something that's great, and we've lost two wrestlers, one, unfortunately, through dark circumstances, another one through tragic circumstances. Honestly, I don't think we're going to see again, personally. So it's those – it's Eddie and it's Eddie and Benoit. Yeah. Um, I'm going to echo a lot of your sentiments here, Ryan. Um, Eddie and Benoit were two – once in a generation athletes who we had ended up being able to experience at the same time. Um, like you mentioned, unfortunately due to the circumstances behind one of their passings, that moment is unfortunately, you know, persona non grata within the company, but you may have as much disdain as you want for Benoit's actions and what ended up happening. But I would argue, and again, I know it's not easy for people to do this, but I would argue that his legacy as a performer, not, not as a person, but as a performer, along with that of Eddie Guerrero's and what those two gentlemen meant to each other, is something that should never be forgotten. So for me, I'm going to go Benoit and Guerrero as well. Yeah, yeah. This is, once again, another hard choice, because I remember yeah. watching that. The, 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 I teared up. At the Ric Flair moment, at the Ric Flair, uh, especially when they bring his family out. I mean, Flair is great at crying on screen, but just the way it was mm -hmm. all done was fantastic. Absolutely. All right, next up on the list. Here we go. Next matchup, we have. Hang on, look. Hang on, I almost lost it. Got it there. Okay. So the next one is the rise of both. TNA Wrestling and Ring of Honor mm. versus Price Check on a Jackass. 
the grocery store brawl between Stone Cold and Booker T. Uh, Brenton, we are going to you first on this one. Or no, no, I, was, I apologize. No, it's me. It's me. First. Yep, we're going to Ryan first. I won't deliberate too long on this one. Uh, I came into TNA, I think, around their fourth, their fifth year around when um, they had the Young Bucks or Gener- Generation Me. Mm-hmm. And when the Dudley, and when they had their partnership with New Japan. Ring of Honor, even though I was well aware of its existence, still never saw, saw a show of it. So, But despite that personal stuff, I still love the supermarket brawl between Stone Cold and Booker T. Just a goofy moment between two wrestlers, especially a Booker T, who honestly, even though he got his ass went through the majority of that skit, he still came out looking like a top star. One of the WCW guys who survived Vince's onslaught of WCW. But was still made yeah. to look like a top star. So I'm going with the supermarket brawl. All right, Breton. I'm gonna have to go with TNA on ROH. Um the reason being is it you know, one with you know what ROH produced a lot of guys, you know, that would eventually come to WWE, you know, and, you know, especially one, you know, CM Punk is my number one, you know, coming from there. But, you know, TNA, you know, bringing a whole new aspect of wrestling. Like, you know, yes, we had seen the cruiserweight division with the high flying and stuff, but X division, where it's not about weight limits, it's about no limits, you know. And the, the you know, the different like with the ultimate X match and the lethal lockdown, you know, some of the matches that we've seen come out of TNA or now impact wrestling, you know, and with it, you know, and both companies being like, you know what, you know, taking a chance and, you know, starting a wrestling company when WWE's around, like at the time, you know, and just coming off of, WWE buying WCW, you know, and we're like, you know what, let's make a bigger promotion. And with both of them becoming what they became, you know, so that's, I'll have to give it to that. Yeah. So here's the thing. I love, 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 love the the grocery store brawl between, uh, Stone Cold and Booker T. Great. One of the awesome comedic moments of the, you know, ruthless aggression era. Like I said, it's toward the end of that, that whole, what I would call the action era into that ruthless aggression era, but I'd still count it. And like I said, it's fun. It's great. It's a, it's a good moment. Showed that Booker T had some range, kept him going to where he could become King Booker later and become a world champion. But I would argue that places like TNA and Ring of Honor have granted us, you know, a lot of great stars, whether it's CM Punk, whether it's Brian Danielson, whether it's Adam Cole, whether it's Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles. I can keep going, but the fact of the matter is I wouldn't know who half of these gentlemen were if it weren't for companies like TNA and Ring of Honor. So 
and, and especially now with Ring of Honor being absorbed into, I guess, I, I don't know whether that's exactly what they plan to do with it or not, but being now a part of uh, Tony Khan's little empire with all elite wrestling and now Ring of Honor. Um, I feel like that legacy is something that needs to be respected. So I'm going to go with the rise of TNA and Ring of Honor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So next up, we have a, a match. Uh, man, this matchup is going to be close to call too. So, uh, Brent, we're going to start with you on this one. The matchup is All In versus Yeslemania. So the entire card of the first All In pay per view started AEW versus Daniel Bryan winning the championship at WrestleMania. Honestly, that's not a hard choice for me, and it's not a knock on. This is not a knock on Daniel Bryan, who is one of this generation's greatest performers, you know, and is still, you know, one of the greatest performers to ever grace, you know, you know, be in the ring. But I'm gonna have to go with All In because. Three guys in the Bucks and and Cody putting literally all, going all in, all three of them putting their money into it and taking a chance. You know that hopefully we could you know fill have a ten thousand you know ten thousand you know crowd. Mm-hmm. And it happened, which led into the formation of All Elite Wrestling. Yep. But on top of that, the fact that it sold out in less than 30 minutes. Yeah. Something that has never happened in WWE. Something that never happened in WCW. Something that's never happened ever. Yeah, before or since. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only time it's ever happened for a wrestling for a wrestling show, and it wasn't even for a promotion. It was just a wrestling show that had promotions there that supplied the wrestlers. So I'm, I, I have to give it to All In. Yep. Yep. I will definitely uh, say those are valid points, Ryan. What's next? So okay, so I guess we're we're good. So it's all in. All right, all in. Not, not nothing against any of those moments, but yeah, the yes moment, great. But this is one moment. These are two. Both of these represent two distinct moments of wrestlers listening to fans, giving them something, and the fans buy it. Not and pun intended. They were all in for it. Compared to a yeah. company, they made it pull. They made a move. The fans hated it. They every time the company kept put double down. Guess what? Fans hated it more until the company had to relent. And now, because you know it, it's history, they want to try to change that narrative. Be like, oh, that's always our plan. No, it wasn't. The your cards have been as transparent as your fucking. Uh, I was gonna say um, like uh, discrimination towards wrestling, but you know that's being a little too nice personally to me. But it's been very obvious to me that WWE don't care what the fans want. So all in, it led to something—a revolution, 
a light revolution, but even then, something brand new to where we can now say wrestling is not just a sport, but it's also a passion. Yep. All right. Uh, we'll go ahead and move into the next one then. Uh, we've got up next on the docket, Alpha versus Omega versus the Lita and Trish main event of Raw. Alpha Omega. Wait. Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega. Oh! I'm an idiot. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Ryan, we're going to start with you on this one. It's Lita and Trish. Um, my vote is to Lita and Trish because WWE, which had a women's division during the 80s, but like so many other uh, oh. golden, like so many, so many like golden pop, like um, trying to think of gold mines they had, they had no idea what to do with it. So they squandered it. So seeing women's division being brought back, having Trish and Lita, who at the time were only just valets, like for beautiful faces, getting them to wrestle. Trish, starting from just like a fitness model to a valet, to train to be a wrestler. Her and Trish getting, and then giving them the main event. Just like with Snuka jumping off the top rope is something that it has influenced many female wrestlers, especially with uh, the most the most recent. I should personally say the re most re the recent incarnation, the reincarnations of Trish and Lita in Sasha and Bailey. Honestly, so I give the Lita and Trish. Okay, Brenton. Uh, I agree with everything Ron just said. So. All right, then, Lita and Trish advance. Okay, and that is going to lead us to our final matchup in the Ruthless slash PG bracket, and that is Edge cashes in Money in the Bank for the first time versus, yeah, wonderful, the arrival of the Broken Hardies. Wait. We're going to start with Brenton on this one. Oh, as much as I love Edge, and as much as I love how he cashed in and what, like he made cashing in on a vulnerable, vulnerable opponent, you know, he made that what as money the bank has become. I have to give it to. You know the broken hearties because it, it it did so much for Matt Hardy's career. Not only you know, and he had had a great he had had a great or has had a great career up until that point, but that was just a whole nother level of something like that. They were just like, you know what, let's try this and see if it works, and became the most talked about thing in wrestling for a long, long time. To the point that guys and other companies were talking about it, mm -hmm. and like you can hear, I'll tell you this just real quick. You know, you can hear it on Talk Is Jericho. You know, they were talking about it. Um, they were in Japan when the first when the match between Matt and Jeff, yeah, and they were having you know watch alongs. Like they were like. You, you can't, they were saying you can't come in during the middle of the match. You know, you have to watch it from start to finish. It's kind of like watching the room in a lot of ways. Yeah. 
God, no, I wouldn't get that far. No, don't. I mean, come on, you can't see a little bit of Tommy Wiseau and broken Matt Hardy? No. <laughs> All right, anyway. Because you know, you know why he did? Because you know what? He, I know he did not hit her. I, it is bullshit. I did not hit her. But oh yes. No, no. Anyway, Tommy, we're God, no. Let's just keep it going. All right, so you've got one vote for the broken Hardys. Ryan, your turn. I think he's paying attention. Oh no, sorry. It just I <laughs> was about to speak, and then my brother just brought me like my my pro wrestling tees like order came in. So <laughs> nice. I've got one coming in soon too. Yeah. Actually, wait, hold, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to hold on. I'm, for people in the audio, I'm pretty much I'm doing an unboxing for my order from Pro Wrestling Tees and make sure it came in nice. <laughs> this is the kind of unscripted entertainment you guys come in here for, so. What the hell did you get? I got an Orange Cassidy jacket. Nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> yes. Now it's got to make sure it fits. Otherwise, I may have to return it. To, but <laughs> Yeah, right. While I'm trying it on, I will give my choice. Um, yeah. Oh, the Broken Hardys versus Ed. Yeah. Um, I need a clarification on the Broken Hardys. Are you talking about their run in TNA or are you talking about them showing up at WrestleMania? Yes, I'm talking about the debut of Broken Matt Hardy and then, of course, obviously the, the transformation of Jeff to Brother Nero. Okay. I'm going Edge. Um, now, talking about Broken Matt, agree, Brent. That was something that he had a great career, but when it, it was for the longest time, Jeff was always the more favorite of the Hardy of the Hardy siblings. So Matt, he was always pushed towards the back. Oh, works perfectly. I just need to maybe let out this a bit. Um, but yes, and the Broken gimmick it reinvigorated, showed everyone how creative he was, especially. Their um, backyard match. I already forgot the name of it. Final deletion. The final deletion. But Edge. Just like with Edge, he was part of a tag team. Which was seen as the favorite. But th that reinvented Edge. Going back and forth between face and heel. Into, an into the heel that his career in the later half of the team. As the ultimate opportunist. As some who's willing to do whatever it takes in order to be on top of the card. And also, Brenton, that moment also did inspire many other great money in the bank cashing moments. Either they failed or they were successful or the flat or they were flashing the pans. But what Edge did set a precedent to that led to a lot of moments. It made money in the bank an even bigger thing. So I will give that one to Edge. Okay. Both moments made one gentleman's career. Because up to this point, Edge hadn't really been given the opportunity as a main eventer as we would have liked. Maybe a lot of us would have liked to have seen him. Uh, he had had opportunities at the, the world title up to this point, I think, because I believe he had a match with Chris Benoit at one point. He had um, one with Lesnar, too. Yes, exactly. Yes, he did. So, so he'd had his opportunities, but again, we hadn't seen Edge as a main eventer. But uh, 
in the tag team of Edge and Christian, Edge was always looked at as the one who was the star. Matt Hardy, on the other hand, had to fight to make himself the star over Jeff. And the broken gimmick is exactly what helped him to do that. So for that reason, I am going with the wonderful broken Matt Hardy. All right. So that is going to move us in now to the all elite bracket. So next up. On the list, we have arguably the biggest moment of the All Elite era. The return of CM Punk versus the introduction of two night WrestleManias. <laughs> Can we just go ahead and on to the next one? I'm, I'm going to say, I'm just going to assume we're all in agreement on this one. Yeah, just move on to the next one. But the two night WrestleMania thing, it's not new because Vince did that for. WrestleMania 2 trying to make it a, a, a cycle on three different in three different states. It's just that uh, the one thing the pandemic finally allowed Vince to do, it finally allowed Vince to actually split WrestleMania so he doesn't have to do a five hour show, a six, a five to six hour wrestling show. And near eight hours on certain days. True. All right. Moving on, we have the announcement of AEW, like the whole press conference and everything like that, versus Drew McIntyre winning the Royal Rumble. Okay, uh, Brent, that's let's start with you. It's me? Uh, no, it's Brenton on this one. Okay. As much as I love Drew McIntyre, I'll have to go with the announcement. Okay. Because Just because it, you know... You knew something big, you know. You just there was just a feeling in the air of professional wrestling that, with the success of All In, that this was going to work, you know. And with the first ever sign, you know, signing being Chris Jericho was a huge deal where he could have gone back to WWE if he wanted to easily. But he said, no, I'm going to go with this brand new company who has never even held a show. Yeah. And then what they turned into. So I have to give it to All Elite. Okay, Brian. Yeah, I'm also going to go with All Elite. Because Drew McIntyre winning the World War was great. But this is not the first time WWE took a fan favorite that the people wanted to see push the moon, have them win the Royal Rumble, and then sweep it from under, and then sweep the rug from underneath the fans. I mean, best examples of within Drew McIntyre's little, uh, I mean, Drew McIntyre, yeah, he won that. Let's not forget they had Asuka and Shinsuke, who were two of the hottest, hottest, like right at the peak of their of their power. And then at WrestleMania 34, they brought they they completely kneecapped them. Having Oscar Street broken by Charlotte, having Shinsuke lose to AJ, as much as I didn't mind his heel turn, then not even having to capitalize on him winning the big belt. I mean, there's so many other wrestlers who won the Royal Rumble, and then not have them win at winning the win the big prize. Nothing to say that the Royal Rumble has to establish big stars, but when the company likes to create this narrative that the Royal Rumble is 
is puts people on the path to WrestleMania for them to become etched in immortality, you need to start buying more into that narrative. All in, on the other hand, I mean, the press conference, that was something to where the fans were in on day one. And from there on in, all the Bucks, Tony Khan, and Kenny, and Cody at the time had to do was let them know, we appreciate your love, and we're going to take that same investment, and we're going to inherit, and we're going to put that right back with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I uh, I'll agree with you guys on that. So, let's move ahead then. All right. Uh, next up, we have the double debut of Adam Cole and Brian Danielson in AEW versus Kota Ibushi winning big at Wrestle Kingdom. Okay. We're gonna start with Ryan on this one. As much as I love that moment with Cole and Brian, I'm actually going to go with Coda on this one. Mainly with just like in New Japan, Coda was pretty much their workhorse. He won almost every championship that they put him in whatever division or what feud they put him in. And he was always that guy that everyone thought would carry, be the one to be to carry the company towards the future. And every time he came up short, or they put another star over him, maybe people thought there were some who thought, and some critics who thought that Coda was sooner they're going to realize that he's not being valued for his time, and he was going to take it somewhere else. That's why when I saw him in the Cruiserweight Classic, I thought he was going to try his hand in WWE or NXT at least, but he didn't. It was just a one-off. It was just a one-off appearance just for their tournament. And at the same time, the fact, but then in hindsight, Cruiserweight Classic, it did seem apparent to me that Vince was going to throw him in that Cruiserweight division, which was so beneath Coda, so beneath him. But him getting that belt, being at that time the Intercontinental and New Japan Heavyweight Champion, that spoke volumes. What happened afterwards, unfortunately, sucked. But still, him being that guy, holding both belts on his shoulder was fantastic. Brendan, I'm gonna have to go with yo yo. It's all about the boom. Wow, the double debut. I mean, I love Coda, but I just I, I knew it was coming. It was almost one of those things you knew it was coming. But with and you had a I, and the reason I go with the double debut is because you had a feeling that Brian was going to be there. Like, it was like – you knew – like, something just was telling everybody that, Dan, that Brian Anderson was debuting. Nothing told anybody that Adam Cole was debuting. Like, I was in complete shock. I mean, you raise a good point. Here's the thing. I feel like – Moments where someone finally gets their due. Because let's face it, Kota Ibushi had been in New Japan for a long time. And he had been like one of the most stalwart members of the New Japan roster. And just like you said, winning title after title, title being one of their most dependable workers. And to finally see him get the green light from the bookers and Gato, or I think, I believe Gato was still in. Yeah, get it's get when yeah. when he won, but to see that loyalty and that 
drive and that that dedication finally rewarded in that way. And regardless of how quickly it petered out because of stuff that was outside of Ibushi's control, just that moment alone of seeing someone who has dedicated their life to not just this business, the wrestling business, but this one company get that due and to see it on their biggest stage to me spoke volumes. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Kota Ibushi winning the big one at Wrestle Kingdom. All right. Next, we move on to John Moxley debuts at Double or Nothing versus the reveal of Mr. Brody Lee as the Exalted One. Oh. And Brenton, we are starting with you on this one. As much as I love Mox. Rest in peace, Brody. I'm going to have to go with Brody. All right, Ryan. I'm going on the other side. I'm going for Mox. Um, this is, and I'm not going to do this whole thing where it was a trend of WWE wrestlers going to AEW because honestly, we can do a list of their debuts. Uh, but Mox, Jesus freaking Christ. I mean, Brody and Mox pretty much were given the, were dealt the same hand in their companies. And Brody, he his debut was just, God, it, it's one of those things where you just have to stick a middle finger out to the fucking pandemic for taking the moment away where he could have had a live crowd. That's the one downside of Brody's career in his time in AEW. He was robbed of the live crowd. But despite that, Moxley showing up, he's not Dean Ambrose anymore. He's not any character he's been before he was part of NXT or the development system. He's back to his old John Moxley, and then you see him as a house of fire, how at home he feels in this character, in this skin. He didn't have to say a damn thing, and you still were excited. So I'm going for Moxley. I mean, you raise a good point. Both of these guys obviously misused a lot in WWE, but... Whereas Moxley was able to turn his career around with this whole thing and reinvent himself, Brody Lee was able to reinvent the floundering Dark Order gimmick and not only raise his own stock, but raise seven other people's stock along with him. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Brody Lee. Okay. And nothing against that either. Nothing against that. All valid points. All right, we move now to, again, man, the dice sure love to give us these these matchups. Um, and again, I'm going to say this. I did not plan any of this. None of this was predetermined. It was all random roll of the dice. We have, well, you know it's bad, guys. <laughs> we have cowboy from cowboy shit to cowboy champ versus Kofi Mania. Oh, motherfucker, motherfucker. Yep. And it starts with you, Ryan. So, yes, it's the big title win. It's basically the three-year journey of Hangman Adam Page versus the 11-year journey of one Kofi Kingston. I'm just going to say it plain out and straight. Even though I had both of them, both the two times we did our best of, I had Kofi Mania and the journey of Hangman Page on the pros on both respective lists. But it's Kofi going to WrestleMania. It hits more with me as a black man. 
seeing that him winning the championship. Personally, I didn't like it was in the middle of the show, but at the same time, it, this was a time where WWE, where it was well known, Vince could change a result of a show within the drop of a dime. And it was also during a moment in WrestleMania 35 where it was a big card, but this was one of the few matches that we paid, that everyone had their eyes on. And Kofi winning that still resonates with me. I still have the video where I was in a bar with so many wrestling fans watching that moment happen and all of us just shouting and cheering in celebration. And then seeing so many others talk about MVP, Mark Henry, at the time, RIP Shad Gaspar, when he passed away, they talked about when they saw that moment, they teared up. Yeah, so I'm going with Kofi Mania. All right, Kofi Mania gets one vote. Brenton. Yeah, I'm going to go with Kofi Mania. Just, I mean, you know, the three-year buildup for Cowboy, from Cowboy shit to Cowboy champ, you know, it was a great, amazing buildup, great story, but just uh, the the amount of time and effort and blood, sweat, and tears that Kofi put into that company, you know, just being dealt mid-card title after, you know, mid-card title, tag title after tag title, just being known as just that guy that just can't, you know, quite grasp the main prize. Yeah. You know, and to become – you know, to touch along with, you know, and to become the first ever African-American WWE champion, which, at you know, which first off, it's ridiculous that it that it was that long. Yeah, that it took that long. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, for Kofi and to see just, you know, the genuine just and like with Big E and Xavier coming out, you know, his, you know. And them, you know, embracing was just, you know, is an amazing moment and is one of my favorite WrestleMania moments of all time. Yeah, it's definitely up there. Don't get me wrong. Like, uh, I like the booking of the Hangman journey a little bit better, but for the massive yeah. impact that it had as far as the overall zeitgeist of the pro wrestling industry, yeah, I got to go for Kofi Mania. And all right, I will say, and I'll also say afterwards, even after Kofi wasn't the only last black man to hold that championship, we ended up getting two more to hold that title. So, and it gives me, and it gives me hope and pride that hopefully WWE is going to start bringing in more and more diversity towards their championships. So we don't keep only help. Yeah. Even though I don't watch the product anymore. Yep. All right. So we are now going to move on to, again, man, RN Jesus loves to stick it to us. The two brightest spots of the pandemic era. It's Stadium Stampede versus Firefly Funhouse. Mm. And Brenton, we're starting with you. Huh. Oh, Jesus Christ. I think he's going to need to grab the coin again, folks. Yeah, I am. <laughs> wow. Man, I did not call this like needing four coin flips in, in this I situation. Am, I'm debating on using my die if I can't logic this out. <laughs> I can't logic it out. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you this much. I love both of these. I'll go ahead and go first if it's too if it's too much for the both of you guys. Um I can still pick a moment. It's just kind of like, do I want to leave it to chance? Or be a man and take and make a choice. 
You know what? I'm going to go ahead and take the heat on this one because, like I said, both of these are great. I love both of these matches. Uh, I even love the sequel that we got, Stadium Stampede with the Inner Circle versus the Pinnacle. Great, fun moments. But for Vince McMahon to be willing to sign off on a character assassination of his biggest draw in the last 20 years yeah. was is what solidifies this one for me. And to have it be such a thorough character just dissection and evisceration of someone like John Cena, to me it has to be the Firefly Funhouse match. So that's I'm going to go with the Firefly Funhouse match. Britton, go ahead, my friend. The coin results have come in, and it is the Firefly Funhouse. All right. Ooh. Well, we don't really need to debate any further, but Ryan, go ahead and give us your thoughts anyway. I would have actually put the die aside, and I actually would have gone with the Stadium Stampede uh, because, I mean, yeah, Firefly Funhouse, you were right, James. Complete character assassination of John of the John Cena we got from the PG era, and the the shock that Vince was able to work not only right off on that, but put his put one hundred percent approval behind the stadium stampede. It just felt to me like uh, best. What better way to give great entertainment value to people during the pandemic? And the sequel is great. And a part of me even feels that we may even get a third stadium stampede this year, depending on how the story might go, if people had not watched the most recent Dynamite. Yeah, I got a, I got a feeling I know what you're talking about, but yeah. But even then, that first stadium stampede, which was kind of like, uh, that was also something that had to be uh, shifted around because of the pandemic, because it was originally meant to be uh, the Blood, Blood and Death Cage match. And this yeah. was one, yeah, this was just one where Cody, the Bucks, had to go through creative and go, okay, how can we work this out so we can still do our big uh, feud buildup while also capitalizing on the debut of Matt Hardy and still make this, still have the fans walk away smiling. And the moments we got out of that, I mean, yes, I still love going back, having John Cena revisit his old uh his, you know, his old, his first, his debut, the promos he's done, the raps, and that Jay and Bray Wyatt just smack them all away. But still, seeing Hangman on a horse chase Sammy Guevara, having him in a bar fight with Jake Hager, Jericho elbowing the the Florida the the, the mascot of the Jacksonville Jaguars, throwing a flag at Aubrey just to review a pin, Matt Hardy again attempted drown, but every time comes out as different versions. Santana just yelling, I can't swim, getting the bell rung. Oh, Ortiz. Oh, yeah, Ortiz. Having Ortiz yell, I can't swim, uh, and then getting his head rung by the bell and continuing to sell that on every dynamite afterwards. Not to mention, um, of course, Sammy Guevara. If Looking at that, the fact that this man was going to be the, the shooting star the, the diamond of that inner circle, taking all these insane bumps, revisiting the go-kart smash into the face, taking that one-wing angel 50, 35 feet off of the air. I mean, yes, the sequel, it had to do it had to go a different way, not trying to top it, but still be entertaining. But that first one did set a lot of precedent. I would have gone for that one. All right. 
Well, the Firefly Funhouse advances. We are down to two matchups left, and then that'll wrap up our part one of this mm -hmm. night because we're we're pushing two hours here almost, folks. Yeah, uh, so I'm just gonna will... start shooting. Just I'm gonna start being quick. <laughs> right. Okay. So let's just get through these last two. Uh, the first up is the creation and continuation of the Jericho Cruise versus the debut of the Undisputed Era. We're going to start with Ryan. I mean, Jericho Cruz. I love Undisputed yeah. Era and what they did. But the fact that with Jericho Cruz, you get to meet wrestlers, you meet wrestling fans, you get to create memories. For, for one week, you get to celebrate being a wrestling fan with the community and, and have great entertainment, learning, uh, meeting different wrestlers, Enjoying different podcasts, different music, having probably one of the best vacations you're ever going to have in your life. And not just speaking from personal experience, but it's just, well, I mean, yes, from personal experience, but not just that. So Jericho Cruz. All right, Brenton. Yeah, that Jericho Cruz, definitely, you know, and not to get, you know, all you know, emotional and mushy and everything and all that shit. But honestly, if it wasn't for the Jericho Cruise, I would have met you guys. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I mean, none of us even knew each other until the part due cruise. And well, now we knew each other only a little bit. James, but we yeah. You and I did. Yeah, but, like, but even then, even then, collectively. yeah, we yeah. would not. I mean, the Jericho Cruise, we took that leap to actually want to be a part of that Jericho to meet face to face. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much the way it worked out, and I'd say it's worked out pretty well because it's gotten us the show out of out of everything. So, yep, uh, yeah, that's and, and more importantly, we met a lot of great people, a lot of great friends, a lot of people who I'm sure we still keep in contact with, even just in passing. So, uh, yeah, great uh, to me. The Jericho Cruise is the Star Wars celebration of the wrestling business. Because it's just this giant convention where people from all across the world can come and share their love of professional wrestling. Sure, are there things that divide us amongst ourselves in the world of professional wrestling? Sure, but we're able to put all of that aside for five days and just enjoy each other's company out on the open ocean. Cocktails flowing, free buffet, great music, and great pro wrestling. Okay. Well... Sorry about that. To cap everything off on this episode, we have the final matchup of the round of 64. Again, we will be doing subsequent episodes in order to keep narrowing things down. So we have a matchup of gimmick changes, if you will. And I know a lot of people, when you hear gimmick changes, are like, oh, God. But let's see what we have here. So we have the big dog becomes the tribal chief versus... Matt Cardona, GCW champion. And we are going to start with Brenton on this one. Probably going to be universally hated for this. But I'm going to have to go with from the big dog to the tribal chief. 
Wow. Okay. So going with Roman Reigns. I don't feel like you'd be hated with that. I mean, it's not it's not a bad choice. No, no I would say I don't think either of these are a bad choice. Like again, again, it is, you know, again, both of these guys in a way, I guess you could call it re- achieving their final forms, as you know, the Dragon Ball Z reference would go. So I don't think I don't think that's a bad assessment at all. Um, the reason I pick the reason I pick Roman is going from being a supposed babyface and being constantly booed, constantly hated. Yeah, you know, and taking time away for a few months, you know, during the pandemic. And coming back with this new attitude, this new character, you know, carrying on, you know, just the whole, you know, you know, I'm going to, I'm carrying on my family's legacy. I'm the reason my family is still successful in this business. I'm the one that puts the food on the table, which makes me the head of the table, you know, and bringing in Paul Heyman with that, you know, it's done so much for his career. Like, I no longer even like. I en- I never really I never enjoyed Roman until the Tribal Chief, and I actually enjoy the Tribal Chief character. So I have to give it to Roman. No, no, absolutely fair assessment. I know a lot of people who didn't care for Roman Reigns until he became the Tribal Chief. So, uh, Ryan, you're up next. Brenton, you brought up every good, strong point. Uh, I will keep this very quick and short. I actually didn't mind Roman. My biggest issue was just him being shoved down our throats. I thought they should have tried to make him the strong, silent type badass. And then maybe have him have a, either have a tagging partner or an ally that does most of the promos, and then he ends up capping off, just like we did with the Shield. Seth and Dean were the talkers, and he just and he was the one-liner guy. But that being said, Matt, just like with Matt Hardy, like with so many other wrestlers that leave WWF or WWE, Matt Cardona is fucking reinventing himself like nobody's fucking business. Him and Chelsea Green are taking the independent scene by storm. Him winning that GCW title, it took GCW from looking like it was just another one of those hardcore, an ECW ripoff, right into the mainstream, got mainstream attention towards it, and now people are loving it. I mean, I saw GCW matches before, and I didn't follow a lot, but I'm saying here, Matt Cardona brought so many more eyes onto it from now hearing GCW being brought up in other wrestling pundit uh, YouTube shows or even wrestling fans now talking about, even if it's just one or two matches. And, and then covering up and then passing on from there. Him now being the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. This is Matt Cardona. He not, I don't know if it was the promotion he convinced the promoters to put the belt on him, or him and Nick Gage thought of a great fucking storyline for him getting that belt. But the fact that he can go into Hammerstein Ball, Hammerstein Ballroom, flip off the fans. And not have them turn into ECW nutballs, but still boo the hell out of him. And then the Chelsea with the 469. God damn it. It is just delicious. I'm going with Cardona. 
I mean, you raise a lot of really good points. I mean, who would have ever thought that the guy who was, you know, wearing half trunks, you know, one full leg, one half leg, you know, with the goofy sunglasses and the spiked up hair saying, woo, 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 you know it, and all of this other goofy shit would one day be holding the same belt that Ric Flair once hold, once held as the NWA World's Champion. Yeah. Like, who, which of us would have ever thought that conceivable? But at the same time, again, you look at Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns has finally achieved that level that Vince McMahon wanted him to achieve, being that top star, that draw. Because let's face it, now you, for lack of a better term, you want to tune in to SmackDown to see who's finally going to dethrone this asshole. Who's finally going to shut him up? Granted, do I think they have a plan for who the hell that is at the moment? Absolutely fucking not. But at the same time, for Roman Reigns to finally be, I will say, slightly unshackled, to take him out of that babyface mold, to let him be this heel, to let him be this cocky prick, to let him explore this and to become this Samoan godfather, if you will, is one of the more interesting directions I think they could have taken this character. And it, for the, for the first time in a long time, made me give a damn about Roman Reigns. Granted, yes, Matt Cardona has done the exact same thing with his GCW run. But at the same time, again, Roman Reigns is not a bad wrestler. Let's just get that out of the way. He is a very good wrestler. It's just the way that he's booked. But now there's a reason why he's being booked the way that he is. It's not just, oh, I'm the conquering babyface who wins all the time because, you know, I'm triumphing over everything. No, it's because I'm a smarmy, slick, you know, silver-tongued dickhead who can get what I want and knows and has enough business sense because I've got, you know, a Weasley, you know, snut, sniveling, conniving manager behind me who can help me, you know, exploit loopholes. So for that reason, I'm also going to go with the tribal chief, Roman Reigns. And again, it, this was this was a close, close call one way or the other. But it, again, great reinventions on the part of both men. All right, that's going to wrap it up for part one of our wrestling uh, March Madness bracket brawl down. Uh, we went a little, a lot longer than I was uh, hoping we yeah. would. By the time we got to this point, I was hoping that we would be down to sixteen rather than just thirty-two. But we will do a part two and maybe even a part three, depending on how long. Uh, those other ones go. So be on the lookout for those, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I can't wait for it. I know these guys can't wait for it because I'm curious to see exactly which moment ends up becoming the absolute number one greatest wrestling moment of all time in our collective opinion. So thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, go ahead and leave us a like and a review. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, all your favorite podcatcher apps. We look forward to seeing you there. Subscribe, leave us a review. Five stars is appreciated, but of course, always vote with your heart. We're not going to be offended. We promise we're not that insensitive. So <clears throat> thank you so much. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, we have rambled, we have raged, but it's all been for the love of professional wrestling. On behalf of myself, James Shimo, on behalf of Ryan Payne and of Brenton McPherson, we will see you guys next time. And until then, hey, ref, ring the bell already. See you next time, guys. <laughs>